Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler. I lead Faith Christian Center here in Austell, Georgia. Pay attention to this message. I believe God is gonna say something to you that is gonna bless your life, change your life, and empower you and equip you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. Listen up, and we'll talk to you at the end of today's broadcast. Acts chapter eight, verse 26. And where we left off, we saw Philip the evangelist having a Holy Ghost revival in a city of Samaria. The whole city, the whole area has turned to God. We see Peter John come down and lay hands on them. They receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the Bible evidence of speaking of the tongues. We see Simon Peter has a showdown with Simon the magician, and we see what happened there. We know Peter and John, eventually after they finish their assignment, they leave and they go and preach through all the cities of Samaria as they go up back towards Jerusalem. But Philip stays there for a little while longer. So Acts chapter 8, verse 26 while Philip was still there in Samaria, and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goes down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. Notice here that Philip didn't ask any questions. Philip is in this massive revival. Tons of people are being saved, healed, delivered, filled with the Holy Ghost. Most people say, well, this is where I need to stay. But the Lord sends an angel and says, hey, leave this revival and get on the road to the wilderness. So he obeys. He has little information. He just knows the direction he's to head. So he obeys. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. So if you have your physical Bible, you can underline great authority. Under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chair, read Isaiah the prophet. So the Ethiopian eunuch was the treasurer for Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Now, Candace was not her name. Candace was the regal title, much like Pharaoh and Caesar. Caesar was not Augustus' name. Pharaoh was not Ramses' name. That was their royal title. So this is her royal title. It's Candace. Her it most likely was Amaterra. So it's Candace Amaterra, who ruled from the ancient city of Moreau, which is located north of modern-day Khartoum in Sudan. So this is a treasurer from an African kingdom. Now, Moreau is not a small city. It's not a poor city. It is a very prosperous city. It made a lot of money for the kingdom. It's the capital of the kingdom. Now, it made a lot of money because it was a middle passageway between the rest of Africa and the Middle East and Southern Asia. So if you wanted to trade through the rest of Africa, you had to come through Moreau. It is south of Egypt. So if Egypt wanted to go to the rest of Africa, it would have to go through there. If Africa wanted to trade to the Middle East or into Europe or to Asia, they had to go through this city. So this city was also known for its iron smelting as well as its gold mining. This was a very prosperous city. So if you have a very prosperous city in a very prosperous kingdom, the treasurer is a very important man. Can you see that? So not only is he a treasurer of this very rich kingdom, he has great authority in this Ethiopian government. And so what was he doing? He was on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. This lets you know he is a believer in the one true God. So it wasn't just people in Israel and the surrounding area who worshiped Jehovah. There are many people and many nations who worship the one true God. Remember, when you look at the time of Solomon, the queen of Sheba, which is in Africa, which is part of Ethiopia area, came to Solomon to get wisdom from him. And she was a true believer. And those who followed her followed God. So we see... This treasurer going to worship, which also means he gave an offering. 
And when he came back, he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And in old times, they, when they read anything, especially religious texts, they were reading it out loud. So you get to verse 29. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, go near and join yourself to this chariot. And Philip ran there to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? Notice the Holy Ghost setup. See, sometimes the Holy Ghost will give you instructions, but he doesn't give you everything at once. So, you know, he told Philip, leave here, head down to Gaza. So Philip may be thinking in his mind, I'm going to Gaza. Well, the Holy Ghost did not want him to go to Gaza. He just said, head that way. And so some of us, well, that doesn't make sense. Why am I on the road to Gaza? Who's in Gaza? Why am I going to Gaza? We question ourselves out of the leading of the Spirit. But Philip was quick to obey. And so as he's walking down there, the Spirit says, go up to that chariot. Now remember, this is a man of great authority, great wealth from a very wealthy kingdom, from a culture that Philip's not a part of. So he could have made up a different excuses. Man, I shouldn't go up to that chariot. That's a government official. They could kill me. You know, they don't want to hear anything I have to say. You know, they don't know me. I don't know them. I'm shy. I'm an introvert. I'm this. He could have all these different excuses. But he didn't. He obeyed the leading of the Holy Ghost. And so as he goes up, he hears them reading from Isaiah. And he says, do you understand what you read? And this man of great authority you know, he could have been full of himself saying, of course I understand what I'm reading. Who are you to ask me, the treasurer of Ethiopia? Do you know who I am? Don't you see this chariot? Don't you see my rims? Who are you to ask me? But he didn't respond that way. He says, how can I accept someone guide me? So he's humble and he's willing to learn. And he desired means he asked Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So this is not some small chariot. This is, some, this is a nice carriage. Say, come on, come up here, get in. There's room. So notice how large this chariot is. It's room for Philip to get in there. There's room for a driver, and there's probably room for at least one more person because some people don't, some commentaries said there was someone reading it out loud to him. He's prosperous enough for have someone to do his reading for him. Could you imagine? It's like we have audiobooks today, and we think it's okay for Siri and Alexa to read it to us, but back in the day, they didn't have Siri or Alexa. They paid someone to read stuff to him. So he gets into this chariot, and the place of the scripture where he's at this was, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So what he's reading from, he's reading from Isaiah 53. So I'm going to read Isaiah 53, verse 1, where he probably started. He says, who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of the dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised, a rejected man, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. He was esteemed not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and was afflicted, and he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaks the prophet? Who is he talking about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about some other man? See, we have the benefit of this passage 
and Peter preaching on this passage and 2,000 years of teaching about this passage. All this dude had was a scroll, and he had no idea who Isaiah is talking about. So notice he's willing to get in the Word of God even if he didn't understand it. He's open to the Word of God. His mind does not understand. You know he's a pretty logical dude if he's a treasurer. You know, treasurers are usually not the place of the creative people. Those are usually the very analytical people. These are the accountants that everything has to make sense. But he's open enough to get into the Word of God even if he doesn't understand with his logical mind. So now he has questions. Okay, Philip, who is he talking about? Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about some other person? And then Philip opened his mouth and began at that same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. It was a Holy Ghost setup. He was at the right place at the right time. So he didn't get there before the Ethiopian eunuch opened up the scroll. He didn't get there after he had finished reading. He got at the right time where he could interject and preach Jesus. It was a Holy Ghost setup. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, there's some water. What keeps me from being baptized? So as Philip's preaching, this dude believes. He says, okay, this is what it means. I believe in Jesus. Let me get baptized. Why slow stuff down? There's some water. Here you are. Let's do this. And Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, this Ethiopian eunuch becomes the first Gentile African convert. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went both down into water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So after he's saved, after he's baptized, he goes back into his country. Remember, he has great authority. He has great power. Now he's telling people about his Jesus. And according to history, the nation follows him. The queen gets saved herself. So wait a minute. Christianity got into Africa not because of colonization. That means you can't follow memes on Facebook if you want to know the truth. Just open the Bible. Amen. The oldest Christian communities are in Ethiopia today, thousands of years old. And so he believes. Africa was introduced to Christianity through this eunuch, the apostles, and other early church fathers. When you look at a lot of the early church fathers of the first 300 years, a lot of them lived in North Africa. And so you get to Acts chapter 8, verse 39, it says, When they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Can you imagine that in the baptism pool? It's like Minister Isom is baptizing someone. They come out of the water and rejoice, and all of a sudden, Minister Isom is gone. <laughs> so people are like, where did he go? <laughs> How did he do that? That's a really cool example, Pastor. Now bring him back. What did you do that for? What happened? And so... The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Now, what happened to Philip? He was translated. Star Trek did not come up with it. <laughs> the Holy Ghost beamed him up and put him back down in a city 30 miles away. Because remember, Philip's in this chair. We don't know how long he was preaching. He was heading down to Gaza. He may have passed Gaza. Who knows where he is now? They're heading down to Sudan. He baptizes the guy. The Holy Ghost catches him away and takes him 30 miles away. See, this is not something new because the Holy Ghost was catching people up in the Old Testament. 
Because we look at 1 Kings 18, 12, you see in the ministry of Elijah that when he was going to tell, it says, tell Ahab that God's going to send rain on the earth, he sees Obadiah who was, he worked in the king's house, but, you know, he was God's secret agent. He was taking care of prophets that Jezebel was trying to kill. He was feeding them with the king's money. So I always find that really cool that, you know, the people who were persecuting the people of God were paying for the people of God to be protected. See, God has a sense of humor. And so Obadiah has been serving God faithfully, protecting God's prophets faithfully. And Elijah appears to him and says, hey, I'm back. And Obadiah says, Ahab's been looking for you for three years. He says, go tell Ahab that I'm here and I want to talk to him. And Obadiah's like, what have I done against you or God? He says, as soon as I go to Ahab, I found you. The Spirit of God is going to pick you up and take you somewhere else. And then Ahab's going to kill me. How have I sinned against God? Now, the thing is, you don't just come up with these random things. If you say something like that, it must mean they knew Elijah was translated on a regular basis. And you see it once again in 2 Kings 2.16 after Elijah is taken up to heaven. And they said unto Elisha, Behold, now there be with your servants fifty strong men. Let them go. We pray thee and seek for Elijah. Lest peradventure the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or in some valley. You don't come up with this stuff randomly. This means Elijah was known for the Holy Ghost picking him up and taking him places. You don't come like, oh, the Holy Ghost took him to a mountain. The Holy Ghost took him to a valley. The Holy Ghost took him on vacation. They just knew the Holy Ghost could pick up Elijah and take him anywhere. The Holy Ghost did that in the Old Testament. And he did it with Philip. He picked him up and took him to Azotus, which in the Old Testament is called Ashdod. And so what we see in verse 40, but Philip was found at Azotus. So all of a sudden, he was in the water. All of a sudden, he's like, oh, look. Hey, where am I? And he starts preaching. He passed through all the cities until he came to Caesarea and eventually settled there. So he preached as he traveled north to Caesarea, which was the headquarters of the Roman administration in Judea and Samaria. Herod the Great had built the harbor and a palace for himself and had named the city after the Roman emperor Augustus Caesar. So we see Philip was supernaturally transported by the Holy Ghost. After we see the first African Gentile convert and after this Holy Ghost revival in Samaria. The Holy Ghost has more things in his arsenal than you can imagine. And if he did it in the Old Testament, and he did it at the beginning of the church in the New Testament, you really think he's run out of stuff in his arsenal today? It's going to happen again. We're going into days where it's going to happen again. I remember hearing and reading about prophecy. Dad Hagen said, he says, before Jesus comes back, there's going to be people who translate. He said one, one specific prophet, there's going to be a person who will be in a TV studio live in New York, and in front of all the TVs, he's going to translate to Los Angeles, and the whole world will see it. Somebody as a witness of what Jesus is going to do in the end times. That's the glory is turned up. I remember Brother Copeland was talking about prophesying by the Holy Ghost. And it says there'll be some people, you go into your times of prayer. The Holy Ghost may wake you up at night. And you go into your prayer closet to pray. And all of a sudden, you're standing in another nation around the world. And you preach the message unto them. And you get them saved. And all of a sudden, you're back in your prayer closet. He says that's what's going to happen in the coming days. The Holy Ghost can do it. Now, you can't say, well, Holy Ghost, how do I get on this translation schedule? Because I save a lot of gas money. <laughs> He's like, man, I could get, skip us traffic all in Atlanta. It would be great. So I don't have to get caught on 285 no more. 
But as the Holy Ghost wills, as he does it, you just flow with him. You really don't have much to say about it. <laughs> you in Austell one day and you in Timbuktu the next. Oh, how did I get here? All right, Holy Ghost, what I need to do? All right, beat me back, Jesus. So the Holy Ghost has many things in his arsenal. And the Spirit of God has a plan. And he will do things that will shock in all the world. Especially before Jesus comes back as another witness of who Jesus really is. So we get into chapter 9, verse 1. Philip settles in Caesarea, and he stays there for a number of decades. We'll see him again later on in the narrative of the book of Acts. We know Peter and John went back to Jerusalem. And we have another main character of the book of Acts, Saul. Where we left them off, he was on a rampage killing and jailing Christians. We left them off after they killed Stephen. He was there. He was the man in charge as they did it. And then he went persecuting, going into every single house, jailing Christians, persecuting Christians. But remember, they all scattered. Philip was one of the ones who scattered. So they all scattered. The apostles stayed. Everybody else fled. So eventually, he's not able to find anybody else. He can't find the apostles. Everybody else left. He says, well, I'm not going to stay in Jerusalem anymore. I'm going to find or I'm going to hunt these Christians. You have chapter 9, verse 1, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. This is his own initiative. He didn't get an assignment from the high priest. He took it on himself. Give me letters. Give me authority. Give me permission to go to Damascus. That's 225 miles away. To the synagogues, that if there be any found of this way, why do they say of this way? Early believers, early Christians were called followers of the way. So if I can find any of these followers of the way over 200 miles away, give me authority to go in these synagogues and jail them, handcuff them, and bring them back to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, because they gave him the permission, he came near Damascus. Now, when you looked at it, when I was looking at see how far Damascus and Jerusalem are from each other, you know, I entered those names because these are ancient cities that still exist today. And so when I entered it in, they said, oh, it's a four-hour, 15-minute drive. <laughs> so when you hear about stories of the Middle East, the Middle East is not that large, especially when we talk about Israel and other surrounding nations. We live in a large country. And what we have in our mentality, we think, well, all countries are about our size. No, we're one of the largest countries in the world. Only ones larger, I believe, are Canada, China, and Russia. We're one of the largest land masses on earth. Israel's very small. Syria is very small. Jerusalem and Damascus, if you got on your car and you could drive through there, it's a four-hour, 15-minute drive. It's like you're driving to someplace in South Carolina. It's not that far away. And so... Saul is expanding his terroristic territory. He's a terrorist. He is hunting Christians. And as he got near Damascus, the oldest city in the world, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from the heaven. As you keep reading the book of Acts narrative, you know it is noon, high noon, in the Middle East. So the light that shines is brighter than the noonday sun in the Middle East. It's the glory of God. And it's so bright, he falls to the earth. And he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
Now, the word persecuted means pursuing to persecute or hunting. So Jesus goes, Saul, Saul. He calls him twice. It's a biblical importance. Why are you hunting me? He didn't say, why are you hunting my people? Why are you hunting my disciples? Why? No. Why are you hunting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? What does the word Lord mean? Supreme in authority. And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are hunting. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. One translation says it this way, Amplified Classic Editions. It is dangerous and will turn out badly for you to keep kicking against the goal to offer vain and perilous resistance. Jesus appeared. He said, I am Jesus. You've been hunting me. It is dangerous and by say stupid for you to keep coming against me. This doesn't sound like a nice conversation. This sounds like Jesus showing up. Try me one more time. <laughs> Go ahead. But how does Saul reply? Lord. And he trembling and astonished, wouldn't you? He is shaking. He is afraid that the person who didn't believe, he didn't believe Jesus was alive. He believed Jesus was dead. He didn't believe Jesus was alive. But now he is right in front of you saying, try me. He says he was shaking. He was afraid and he was astonished. And what translates he was stupefied. He probably was stuttering. Uh, 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 Didn't expect this to happen today. Lord, what would you have me to do or what do you want me to do? He called Jesus what? And Lord means supreme in authority. Saul is now saved. Didn't we say if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth? He's saved. So what does he say to him? Get up, go into the city, and it shall be told you what you must do. He is now a believer. He didn't say, you need to do this to repent of all the bad things you just did. I showed up, you got saved, now go into the city. I'll tell you later what you need to do. And the man was journeying with them, because Saul wasn't by himself, stood speechless. Why? They heard the voice, but they didn't see anybody. So they see Saul fall to the ground. They hear Jesus talk. And everybody goes real quiet. You know, somebody was backing up real slow. Because <laughs> if this goes sideways, I'm out. Jesus, it wasn't me. It was him. <laughs> and Saul arose from the earth. And when his eyes were open, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. The light was too bright. It blinded him. Saul had been in the darkness of his rage and his wrath and his terrorism so long that when the glory of God shined upon him, he couldn't see anymore. So they led him by the hand. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. So it doesn't say he was an apostle or evangelist or minister. He's just a follower of Jesus. Maybe he's one of those who were scattered from Jerusalem. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. 
And he says, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Get up and go unto, go to Straight Street and inquire the house of Judas or Judah, for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. So he took these three days to pray. That's probably a good idea. Wouldn't you think that's a good idea to pray after this encounter, after your crazy lifestyle before fasting and prayer? Sounds like a really great idea. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. See, I'm reading this, and it wasn't interesting. God already gave, Ananias, God gave Saul a vision that Ananias is coming, and God hadn't told Ananias yet. So now Jesus is appearing to Ananias and saying, okay, you're going to go. He saw all this vision. But Ananias is not quite so. He said, whoa, 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 Jesus, what did I do to you? I've heard about this dude. I've heard how much evil he's done to you. your saints at Jerusalem. Nobody said this. Not just my brothers, not my sisters, not my friends at Jerusalem, your people. And he has authority from the chief priest to bind or arrest everybody that calls on your name. But the Lord doesn't respond to his comments. He says, go your way. Whew. Why? For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles. Notice Paul's scope of ministry. The Gentiles and kings are those who are in political authority and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer or painful things he must endure and experience for my name's sake. Notice the emphasis and the personal touch of Jesus in this message. He told him, I picked him. He's going to represent my name, and he is my vessel. So basically, Ananias, if I picked him, if I chose him, if I'm going to use him, who are you to say no to him? So who are we say no to the people that God picks to use and chooses to use and chooses to work with? Jesus said, I choose to work with him. He fully knows what he did, but I picked to work with him. So Ananias doesn't resist anymore. He goes his way. He enters into the house and puts his hand on him and says, Brother Saul, listen to Ananias. Brother. Now, maybe on the walk, the Holy Ghost really dealt with his heart, or maybe this is a faith confession. But Saul is saved. Jesus said, he's mine. He's my vessel. I chose him. I'm going to work with him. He's going to represent me. He's going to represent my authority. He's going to represent my character. So now, he's your brother. So he goes to him and says, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, that appeared unto you in the way as you came, has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes and had been scales, and he received his sight, for with and arose and was baptized. We know he was also filled with the Holy Ghost, because Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I pray in tongues more than the whole church at Corinth put together. We know Paul would arrive to cities as he was, his name came, and he would say, well, have you received the Holy Ghost? And they said, we don't know it's the Holy Ghost, and he got them filled with the Holy Ghost. And so we see Saul, he's saved. Then he gets filled with the Holy Ghost, and they go and 
baptize him. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. So now it's not just the people at Judah's house, the people who came with Saul and Ananias. Now the disciples at Damascus have embraced him. He is part of this family of faith that full well know his past, his very recent past, his almost just yesterday past. But because Jesus accepted him, they said, we accept you too. You're with us. You're our family now. You stay at our house. We'll feed you. We'll take care of you. See, what happened with Saul here is mirrored to what happened with Philip in chapter 8. So what do you mean? Because Paul wrote, went on to write later in Colossians 1 verse 13, that God who has delivered us from the power of darkness has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son or the son of his love. So just at, like the Holy Ghost translated Philip from that wilderness road to Ashdod, God translated Saul from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the son of his love. And the world hasn't been the same since. This should let you know there's nothing too hard for the Holy Ghost. He can pick up a physical body and move it 30 miles away at a snap of the fingers. And he can take the most hardened sinner and make them the most glorious saint. There's nothing too hard for the Holy Ghost. There's nothing impossible for the Holy Ghost. So stop saying things are impossible. Stop saying, well, God can't do it. Stop putting things and saying, well, you know, God has to come to you like Abraham. Is there anything too hard for me? He said, Moses, has my hand waxed short? Did I have a power outage I didn't know about? Did I not pay my power bill? What's going on? What do you think that I don't have enough power to handle this situation? So if he could pick up Philip and take him 30 miles away before Star Trek, if he could take Saul the terrorist and tell him, turn him into Paul the apostle, what can he do in your life? What can he do with your circumstances? What can he do with your situations? He's the Holy Ghost. He is the Spirit of God. He is the power of God. He is the anointing of God. He is the agent of creation who hovered over those waters. If he can do all these things, what makes you think your life is too hard? What makes you think the Holy Ghost is afraid of your mess? You look in Genesis chapter 1, how he hovered over the waters at the beginning. It says in Hebrew, the earth was tohu babohu, or without form and void, as a complete and utter mess, yet the Holy Ghost was hovering over those waters. If he could hover over those mess at the beginning, he can hover over your life today. Amen. I don't care how bad you messed up your life, the Holy Ghost ain't afraid of your mess. You just have to trust him. You just have to be willing to obey. You have to be willing to be like Saul and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Supreme authority, what do you want me to do? You have to be like Philip when the Holy Ghost says something, you're quick to obey. That even if you have a little Ananias in you and you have a few questions, you still obey. Obedience is the key. Surrendering to his plan is the key. Not running any longer is the key. 
Yielding to him is the key because as you yield to the Holy Ghost, he can do wonderful and marvelous things because we didn't get a different Holy Ghost. The same Holy Ghost in the book of Acts is the same Holy Ghost today in 2019. And he desires to do wonderful things just like he did in the beginning, but even greater because Jesus is coming soon. He did these wonderful things at the start of the church age. Don't you think he'll do even greater things at the end? We live in a generation, we've seen special effects. We've been wowed by Hollywood and all the movies and TV and everything they can do. Do you really think the Holy Ghost is coming second to Steven Spielberg? Do you really think the Holy Ghost is coming second to Walt Disney? Do you really think the Holy Ghost is going to come in second to anybody who can create something wonderful on the screen? No, I don't believe we serve a second-place Holy Ghost. I don't believe we serve a Holy Ghost who likes losing. Because he's the one who made us more than conquerors through him that loved us. I believe that if we keep cooperating with the Holy Ghost, we'll see wonderful things happen. Greater things than ever. Things that would make Peter, Paul, James, and John, and Philip go, whoa. Things that would make Elijah and Elisha and Abraham and David and Solomon go, whoa. Things that would make the great revivalist George Whitfield and John and Charles Wesley and Jonathan Edwards go, whoa. Things that would make Charles Parham and William Seymour and McGuire and Woodworth Edder and Amy Simple McPherson go, whoa. Things that would make Oral Roberts and Kenneth Hagin and Jack Coe and A.A. Allen go, whoa. Why? We're standing on their work. We're standing on what the Holy Ghost used them to do. Why would the Holy Ghost do less when we're further into his plan? The best is always yet to come. As you see the ministry of angels all prevalent through the book of Acts. And it's so common in the book of Acts that when Peter was arrested and Peter showed up at the door, it made more sense for them to be Peter's angel to be at the door. Why? Angelic experience was so common. It was the normal. It was the norm. Angelic ministry always is prevalent at great moves of God. It's always prevalent because all history hangs on two golden hooks, the first coming of Jesus and the second coming. There's great angelic activity around those hooks. And when you get to age changes which we're close to, where the church age ends, and we go into the tribulation and into the millennium. As you get to age changes, things come in from both ages. And as there's great angelic activity during the tribulation, there'll be great angelic activity at the end of the church age. Whether the church age ends in 10 years or 100 years, we're getting closer every single day. We're getting closer to the return of the Lord every single day. So there'll be more glorious, wonderful things happening every single day. And the Holy Ghost doesn't want to just use preachers to do it. He wants to use people to do it. We see Philip who started out as a deacon and became an evangelist, greatly used by the Holy Ghost. We see Ananias, a disciple, just a regular person who went to church, greatly used by the Holy Ghost. We see the Holy Ghost grab a terrorist and turn him into an apostle and use him greatly. The Holy Ghost can use anyone who will say, what do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do, supreme in authority? I remember one of the last great visions Oral Roberts had before he went home to be with the Lord. And in that vision, to sum it up, Jesus was telling him how he was going to do wonderful things before he returns. 
to make sure that the church is ready for his return, the Jews are ready for his return, and so are the nations. He told Jerry Savelle even before that, that the Holy Ghost told him that what's coming on the earth will be greater than what they saw under the tent. The great miracles and healings they saw in his ministry under the tent. What's coming will be greater. Smith Wigglesworth prophesied to Lester Sumrall near the end of World War II. It was still going on. He told him, don't be worried, because Hitler will be dead in hell. Don't be afraid. But after this war ends, there will become a great healing revival. That became the voice of healing revival. After that, he says, all these denominations will be filled with the Holy Ghost. That came the charismatic renewal. He says, after that, I see stadiums filled with people bringing Bibles and notebooks. That became what we know as the Word of Faith movement. Out of this, this church was birthed out of. But after that will come the greatest move of God of all. They'll have everything that was before and more. We are in those days. Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost is just looking for people who will say yes who will say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Amen. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. Holy Ghost, we thank you for making it alive to us. Show us our part in this last great move of God. Lord, what would you have us to do as individuals? We thank you for making it clear what you have us to do as a church to ignite awakening that impacts George and influence the world through the power of the love of Jesus. We thank you for showing what we're supposed to do in our 14 plus locations and places you've called us to go and touch all around the world. Thank you for what we're working to do corporately. But Father, I pray that you make it more clear to us as individuals. Some of you in here just need to say that simple phrase and listen for the response. Lord, what will you have me to do? And whatever he tells you to do, you need to do it. You need to write it down. If you have to arrange your life, change some things and get ready for it, that's what you need to do. But tonight before we go, you need to ask that question. In your prayer life, you need to ask that question. You need to yield and obey. Because God wants to use you to do wonderful things. For this is still the year of marvels and great manifestations of the goodness of our God. This is still the year where we'll stand in all this is the year of abundant harvest. But we all must do our part. We must all get involved. We must all yield to the plan of the Holy Ghost. So Father, I pray for everyone in this room, all those who are watching online, all those who watch this message later. Make it clear to them their part. Grant them ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart to receive, know, and understand. Father, I pray that you give unto them the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of you. That the eyes of their understanding will be enlightened, that they may know what is a hope in the invitation of your calling. What are the exceeding greatness of your power to us who believe, according to the working of your mighty power, which will wrought in us and in Christ. When it raises from the dead, set us your own right hand in heavenly places, far above all things, but all things under our feet. I thank you for clarity. I thank you for insight. I thank you for direction and for guidance. For you say, if anyone who lacks wisdom, ask of you, you give it liberally and upbraid of not. So we receive that wisdom and direction. As we set our hearts permanently on, Lord, what would you have us to do? And we're set to obey. And I thank you, Lord, for it. Hallelujah to Jesus. 
Thanks for watching the Faith Broadcast today. We hope you enjoyed the message. We'd love to hear from you. So if you're watching us, you can follow us on social media. Our social media handles on Twitter and Instagram is at WeAreFaithATL. You can also go to our website at FCCJ.com. Follow us on social media. Follow us on our YouTube channel. Contact us online. We'd love to hear from you. Have a wonderful day.